0: From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. mind. Welcome to From the Void. It would be strange to say the least to open up a newspaper today and see a story about someone experiencing a haunting or seeing a ghost. But back in the 1800s, this wasn't quite as unusual. There are tons of stories of hauntings preserved in history through the newspapers from around the country. This week's guest, author MJ Wayland, talks all about his research into historic hauntings in both the US and in the UK. Welcome to this week's episode, Historic Hauntings, on From The Void. All right, welcome to the podcast. Um, very excited to have this guest on, uh, MJ Whalen. Thank you so much for for spending some time on the show today.
1: Thank you for inviting me, John.
0: Absolutely. So really, really thank you. Oh my gosh, yeah. So we were we were talking before we started recording, and uh, you are actually familiar with the other podcast that I do, uh, the the deconstructionist podcast. So I thought that was it was pretty cool. I've not had that happen yet. <laughs>
1: Oh, absolutely! Uh, well, I remember when you sent me uh, the interview request, and I saw John Williamson, and I, I thought, "Can't be the John Williamson." Surely, they do not have the con- de- deconstructionist. And then, uh, so I, I'm, I'm really excited, and I'm really happy to be here today um, uh, to support you, and uh, and also to talk about a subject that I'm extremely passionate about and have been all my life.
0: Yeah, this is um, this episode is going to come out right around Halloween, so very apropos. Uh, And so the reason I had you on is because you've written uh, numerous books on the subject of ghosts and and the paranormal. And specifically, you've kind of covered both. You're obviously, if people haven't noticed yet, you have a a very nice accent. So um, yeah, so you're from the UK. And so you've written extensively on hauntings in the UK. But you've also written, uh, you know, about American hauntings as well. So before we dive into that, though, talk a little bit about how did you get interested in this subject matter to begin with?
1: It took to, yeah, it's quite a long story, but it starts off with, an, with my own experience. And the experience was I was aged about six years old. I was laid in bed and I could feel that my back was itching. I reached behind and there was a hand and a finger twisting in the back of my back. I grabbed the finger and I pulled it forward. And as the hand pushed through my hand, it disappeared. And obviously I screamed and screamed and screamed, and it was a real sort of paradigm shift in in that six-year-old's mind that actually there's something else going off here. Now, my parents are quite scientific and sceptical. They said it was probably a night terror. It was probably, you know, some sort of dream, and it was a waking dream or that sort of thing, and, and actually we continued to live in the house for a further nine years, and Uh, all all of us had experiences in that house. It was just a very, very weird house. And uh, I always remember um, nine years later, at the age of uh, 15, I was washing my hands in the bathroom and I was thinking, it was the last day we was leaving and I thought, do you know, I wonder if the hand will come with us to this, to, to the new house. And as I washed my hands, I reached to the towel and I saw the hand come through the wall and pull the towel down. And I just went, oh, you know, kind of screamed. And it was kind of, uh, yeah, it was really, really weird. And it it was something that really triggered something off. And even with my parents being, and again, I'm really pleased that my parents were able to ground me because what it allowed me to do is is to kind of look at the arguments, the skeptical and the believer arguments, and try to keep a a middle ground, really, is, yes, I've had experiences, um, but what I try to do is try to rule them out. I try to, you know, try and work out what, what they are before I start believing. Um, so, and since then, I've I run a UFO group in the 1990s. We, uh, there was a big incident called uh, the Sheffield UFO incident, as it's known. And we actually got uh, uh, questions uh, uh, asked in the Houses of Parliament because what we've discovered was actually, it wasn't a UFO crash, as some witnesses believed, but it was the RAF, uh illegally breaking the sound barrier and uh over over manchester in the the middle of uh, in the middle of england um and they actually admitted it so the raf was actually very happy to allow everybody to talk about ufos because it was actually covering up that they made a a major mistake uh, by breaking the sound barrier over the british isles which they're not allowed to do wow (laughs) um so, yeah, so I, I kind of, I, I think one thing that I saw was, certainly with UFOs, I was very nuts and bolts UFOs, and, um, and, I, and I began to realise that actually there's a bigger phenomenon here. Um, it's not just, you can't, it's not just nuts and bolts, there's other things happening. Um, and what I mean by that is the, some of the incidences that happen to people um, in u- ufology very similar to the Victorian fairy abductions and things like that you know that there's a lot of writers who wrote about it, like John Keel and Jacques Vallée and you know you can see these archetypes that run through so um but my my core passion is really ghosts and, and that's where I am today you know I've kind of uh, been involved in ghost documentaries and some of the popular ones most haunted ghost adventures um only when they came over to the UK <laughs> but uh <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, it, it's been an interesting and varied life so far.
0: So, what what got you interested specifically in kind of the American side, the, the American hauntings? And and, uh, and the other question I have for you is because we were kind of talking about this before we started recording: is uh, what to you makes the American hauntings so different than the ones that you that you see or hear about in the UK?
1: I I think with the British hauntings, I I, I think. One of the things about uh, about British hauntings is they're extremely well documented. So you know we have Mary Queen of Scots documented at five castles that she allegedly haunts. We've got all this history and it and it's all incredibly well documented. And and I'd say it's a little bit boring. Now, when I I've written about ghost stories in in Britain, what I try to do. Is is look for the stories that have been lost in the archives. So the stories that are not very well known. So I'll really dig and dig and I might find, you know, just a, a footnote on a on a newspaper from eighteen seventy five, and I'll think this is interesting. What's this about? And then you know, spend the next three months trying to work out what that was. Find the witnesses. Find where they'd lived. Everything like that. So with Britain, it's all too over documented. There's been too many ghost hunters. Uh, way back from, you know, Elliot O'Donnell, from uh, the Edwardian times all the way through to modern day. And 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 purely out of a chat, somebody said, well, why aren't you doing an American book? And I said, well, it's a little bit difficult, you know, it's, how can I get into the archives? And it was just that turn about 1910, uh, sorry, 1910, uh, 2010, 2011. And you started getting things like newspaper archive, you started getting uh, Google uh, putting newspapers on there. And I started researching, and and I realised that very very quickly. Um, I built up a very good network on Twitter and uh, in, personally. So if I need to find something, um, out uh, if I need to find something further about uh, a person or a building or a map or something like that, it's amazing now the information that you can get. Uh, and I, I mean, what kind of attracted me was purely out of. Um, just a, a personal chat with somebody, just saying, well, why aren't you doing American investigations? Uh, and that's how I started writing the uh, 50 real American ghost stories, uh, just purely from that. But it's very different, John, from British. And, and I think I think some of the stories that I included in my first book on American hauntings, i um, I threw some really interesting cases in there. I mean one of the cases is a husband, uh, sorry, is a father and daughter working in a field and as they work, uh, working they see a man walking in the distance towards them and they notice on his back there's a skeleton kind of waving almost and it walks towards them and now these people, are, from research, they were in the middle of a farm They are miles and miles away from the nearest newspaper, from the nearest, you know, I've even been able to track their deeds down, found out exactly who they were, just very quiet, farm people. But it shook them up so much, they actually reported it to the local newspaper. But what they saw was this skeleton, smiling skeleton on the back of of this man, thought this was really strange. He walked past them, and as he went into the house, they both disappeared and that's just super weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> not only is it a ghost but it's a ghost of a man carrying a skeleton on his back <laughs> and and it and it's stuff like that I, I keep finding um and it's I and, and I'm I'm currently working on a Christmas book at the moment um I, I, I did a real Christmas ghost stories about uh, eight years ago and I've never been happy with it um so I stopped publishing it I stopped it um And I've just been working on this, I've never discussed this, but I've worked on this new case that has just blown up into incredible proportions. And essentially what happened was, this is Mexico, Missouri. Now to me as an Englishman that means nothing to me, I don't know Mexico, Missouri, but apparently it was on the uh, the track on the way to Texas and when Texas joined the United States places started renaming themselves New Mexico, so towns started calling themselves New Mexico to try and ride on the back of this trend, and Mexico, Missouri was called New Mexico, and then they dropped the new. But to the west was Little Hope Church, uh, Hopewell Church, and suddenly in the middle of September uh, uh, 1833, suddenly a six to eight feet tall Wild man, as they describe him, starts appearing. Long black cloak, head tilted strangely with bright glowing eyes in the middle of practically nowhere. I mean, this is on right on the outskirts, on somebody called Philip Baker's land. And then what happens is over the following six months, it gets weirder and weirder. He's seen appearing at people's uh, windows. Apparently he's seen in the cave um, or on this distant land. People are frightened. People start building up um, little packs of... Um, to, to try and run him out. Um, and this creature scene seen and then stops. And then something else weird happens. They suddenly get a haunted hill. So literally, within a few, kind of a half a mile from where this guy appears, suddenly there's a haunted hill. And there we then have six months of horses going so mad on this... Right, as they're travelling up onto the hill, they suddenly... The horses lose control and they say that they go mad, so mad that they have to put them down. They have to literally kill them on the spot. A huge amount of accidents, young women who just passing by on horses, suddenly get thrown from there, the horses run into the bogs, uh, into the marshes and, and bogs and, and, and die. And then it stops. So for, for about a year, you've got this huge amount of weirdness that comes and then goes and it's and that is america that that is american it is is so if you, don't ask me to explain what that was about um, it, luckily it was well documented by a local newspaper who who kind of reported it quite at first it was kind of a little bit of a joke it was kind of because there was a central witness called John Creasy who actually fought with uh, general grant and uh, he seemed a little bit of a local character but then other people started to see this six to eight foot wild man appearing and they found a cloak with apparently with every skin, including a giraffe and a lion <laughs> attached sure. to it. It's just, it's just the weirdness scale. I don't know. I understand now why America had Mothman. The seeds were sowed back then that the, the weirdness is, is just off the scale.
0: Yeah, and one of the things you mentioned before we started recording that I, I think is really interesting, and and probably plays into it to a large degree, is the fact that America is known as this melting pot, and so you have this country that's comprised of people from literally all over the world who bring with them all sorts of different traditions and religions and beliefs, and so I would imagine as you you know researched, uh, you probably noticed little bits and pieces of these different cultures you know feeding into these stories that you're that you're reading
1: absolutely i I think one of the things i've noticed is you can almost feel when you've got um a large amount of uh dutch people within a particular area because there's this talk about particular protection you know kind of kind of particular marks that people are putting on the doors to to ward off these ghosts so that um, there's also uh, a lot of the newspapers also uh, discuss how the, there's large black communities in certain areas as well and how they react. Um, they, so it's interesting. You've got these very different belief systems all coming together, kind of clashing as well, where you've kind of pe- the, the, the descriptions there. But how they deal with it is very, very different. And uh, it, there's a, a number of cases um where you've you've kind of got an idea where you can see where some of these stories are almost archetypal stories, where you can see where that's a very similar archetype that's obviously come from Europe. It's, you know, it's kind of like the black monk. I mean, that story I've just told you, you know, six to eight feet tall is a little bit over proportion, but essentially it's a black monk that we see in Britain. You know, it's, it's the European black monk that wanders around. So you can see where the influences have come across. The things like the wild hunt, um, which is um, a huge Germanic uh, belief that on certain nights, especially around Halloween, you have uh, a Woden or Odin um, kind of followed by a wild hunt in the skies and you might hear dogs or horses baying very loudly. And there's several places in America that allegedly have the same ghosts. And if you look, there'll be a German community nearby or they'll be kind of Dutch or or possibly French. Um, So the the beliefs are transposed across. Um, So then you have to unpick is did they have a genuine experience or was it that they had an experience and they tried to interpret that within their belief system? And and I think it's a little bit of both. It's kind of, I think there's a bit of interpretation that happens um, when it comes to, to ghosts. We see something and then I think the interpretation happens internally whether we lo- know about it or not
0: yeah absolutely and one of the things that i found really interesting that you mentioned in your in your book is the fact that um prior to about i think you said the 1840s if if i'm remembering correctly you mentioned the fact that americans are kind of largely skeptical you know in terms of these sort of encounters until kind of the rise of spiritualism, which I think is a really fascinating uh, part of history, because you see this rise of spiritualism in both the United States and the and the UK, and suddenly people are are having séances and and they're uh, having more of these uh, strange encounters and experiences. So, uh, but along with that, as you mentioned in the book, there's a huge rise of obviously hoaxers and hoaxes, and and you mentioned the fact that you know in your research you have to kind of parse through fact and fiction and some of it's just in entirely impossible to tell. And so, so talk a little bit about, um, some of these stories that start to come about around the rise of the time of spiritualism, like the Fox sisters and folks like that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it, it, obviously I, I know the comparison with British, uh, sightings and, and, and there, there is this huge skepticism, um, I kind of it, it's it's dealt with the subject, um, in the US is, is dealt with in that, you know, the person who saw uh, saw the ghost is, you know, probably not the cleverest person or you know, there's always in some form of insult, um, which continues today in the sceptical community. But no but um it's it's kind of it's that kind of feeling, is is oh, they must have been drinking, there must have been, you know, kind of not aware of their surroundings, sort of thing. Um, you know, in Britain, we had Charles Dickens saying the same thing. Charles Dickens, who wrote the greatest Christmas story, um, was a fierce, fierce skeptic of, of ghosts, and some of his early stories were all very skeptical. Um, but in in America, you you have this huge amount of skepticism, and and even if you look at the first si- first sort of uh, when the Fox Sisters start, you know, kind of started uh, generating newspaper coverage. Uh, there was a. There was a. It was interesting, actually, because originally it, it does start off that people are saying it's some form of hoax that um, the Fox sisters are, are known for, you know, kind of uh, being um, uh, gossips and known for, you know, kind of uh, telling tales in, in the local area, and then it suddenly starts getting serious. And I think what happened was, and it's similar again to Britain, is what happens is is the subject. Uh, sort of transposes away from the working person to the upper classes and then once you've got people from the upper classes including doctors and physicists and everything else once they start taking interest that's when you start to see it suddenly bloom and and the difference uh, from sort of 1860 onwards you you see 1840 to 1860 it's all quite skeptical a little bit this is interesting about spiritualism, and then suddenly from eighteen sixty till till around nineteen ten, it's 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 kind of full blown, um, kind of very 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 believer. I mean, admittedly there are some exposing uh, exposing of uh, mediums like the Fox sisters who did get exposed uh, years da- years after, people like William Mumler, who was the famous uh, New York ghost photograph uh, faker of ghost photographs. Uh, I think he took a picture of Abe Lincoln's uh, widow, uh, Mary Todd. um, And it had Abraham Lincoln in the back. So they were keen to expose, but generally you've got this massive amount of of data and, and essentially lost ghost stories that just suddenly appeared during that time. Some of it's quite spiritual and you have stories of... Uh, of children involved and apparently being the main communicator, um, but generally you just have it, you, you have a mixture of hoaxes, spiritualism, and general ghost sightings, and and it's just full on, to about between 1901 and 1910, and then something changes. I noticed that people start talking about ghost hunting as a uh, as a hobby, and I, I thought this is interesting. And apparently, in the new Lo- the New York echelons, um, the people uh, of uh, of a certain of certain upper classes started ghost hunting for Christmas parties, and uh, and then it died out just before World War One.
0: Interesting, yeah. So, I, I think the other fascinating aspect to this is the fact that that you're able to do this sort of research, meaning that a lot of these ghost stories were reported to newspapers, which is something that would be almost inconceivable today. You don't read, you know, the New York times and read about someone's ghost experience. You know, very rarely does that ever happen if ever at this point, but there's a dearth of information that you're able to retrieve from local newspapers who were reporting these types of things. Um, so, so talk about some of your favorite, what what are some of the more interesting U S hauntings that you discovered in, in your research?
1: <laughs> is you know it's it's one of those things where, um, I it's one of those things where I, I think I, every single one's interesting, and I, I'll, I'll tell you why is because I, they start with a seed, and you 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 have a particular incident where um, where in where we had a situ- there's a situation in New York in um, uh, in the Bowery, uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and you have a, a night watchman who apparently is played a prank, uh, a prank. He's, a, he's in the, some of the warehouses that were down there and he was a night watchman. This is 1920. And it starts off that there's alleged poltergeist interview, uh, pol- poltergeist happening. And and he's, he, he's apparently been played a prank. So I thought, you know, it's one of those hoaxes. I'll just check around and see if there's any more. But over a period of time, actually, what tends to happen, what happened in this circumstance, is it's got the story became syndicated and more stories started to flood in. And then you kind of suddenly realize that when you start researching the Bowery and the history of that area, and I think, again, if I remember correctly, it's again Dutch um, uh, founders, um, you find that there's a bigger picture to be seen. That what actually ha- you have is an area of weirdness. Where you have story after story after story of people having incidents, um, and and it's it's a bit like California. I mean, California. When I started doing research, suddenly I started to find all these road ghosts, more road ghosts on that coast than in New York or on that on th- that side. So it, it it's it, it's a really deep and complex uh, subject. In that, it's very hard to kind of say which one's your favourite story because I my it's really the ones that I'm working on now that really intrigue me the most and I think l- like the mountain man I, I've only just started working on that and I know there's going to be more things that I start pulling out it's it, you know it's it's that high weirdness that I look for the the, the cases where it's not just done and dusted there's, there's other things happening and um, as you know what I try to do in, in my books is try and throw in some very weird and strange curveballs as well uh, just to make it to know make make the read a question because I think we've all got a question to know about ghosts. I mean what's I mean, what do you think about ghosts?
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because it, I, I have the side of me that, that very much wants to believe. And then there's the scientific side of me that's extremely skeptical, especially when you see people presenting like, you know, pictures of orbs, you know, which could be dust or bugs, you know. That's just not uh, it's just not interesting to I me. Tell That's you not.
1: About, I could tell you something about orbs
0: if you want to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so, so, so it was about uh, it was about 1994, and um, and this is sort of pre major internet. Um, so, uh, and what happened was, I one of my first, I had an email address, and it was like the most amazing thing, <laughs> and suddenly I was able to communicate with all these American researchers, and we kept in real good touch. And Kodak brought out out one of the first affordable digital cameras. And suddenly I started getting emails from people saying, have you seen this? We're we're catching soul lights. And I said, soul light? What's a soul light? Uh, Well, when we go to cemeteries, we're capturing the soul hovering over a graveyard, uh, over a grave or, uh, you know, over the graveyard. I said, well, can you send me one? And they sent me one, and it was an orb photograph. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 it was interesting because you suddenly you suddenly realised that you are at the beginning of what turned out to be you know twenty years of saying to people there's no such thing as orbs, <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and and it was weird. It's it stemmed from the first digital cameras, and I actually bought a, 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 one of the basic one meg codec. Uh, digital cameras and it reminded me like the star wars sort of uh, binoculars that they used and the it, it caught orbs very very easily because the flash was too close to the lens so when you take the photograph because the lens is circular you get an orb you get a circle orb and then obviously we've got pareidolia so what so humans naturally see faces uh, wherever they look they look they see patterns because that's do you know, how we started off, we needed to see a pattern of a wolf face hiding in the bushes, or we needed to see these patterns, and that's why we see trains in clouds, or animals, or people, and that's what happened with orbs, is suddenly these soul lights, people began to see faces in them and say, oh, actually, you know, this is people, and and it, it kind of blossomed from there, and then it kind of came over to Britain, and, and we were just kind of literally snowballed by orb photographs and it was just absolutely all over and it got so bad actually um that sony actually printed um for for a long while a reason why you get orb orbs and describe it but even though the believers still did not believe that these (laughs) orbs but there's one test for an orb photograph and i always say to people is if you see an orb photograph if you see one and it's behind an object then i'll start believing that there's some phenomena here Every orb photograph you can you can see, it's never in front, it's never behind an object. You'll never see half an orb. You always see a full one. And the reason is, is it's closer to the lens rather than behind something. So orbs have been my pain for two for 20 odd years. Where, <laughs> you know, you kind of every television program and most haunted and things like that, the British program was very heavy on the orbs and light anomalies. And light anomalies are the same, is that these you know flies or dust or I mean I'm a skeptical believer you know and and I'm I'm after real evidence so for me it's kind of you' gotta you gotta try and rule out things before you start believing them and I can't believe in orbs and I can't believe in light and them oh, like and I'm, I'm with you <laughs> in, I'm not entirely convinced you can actually video uh, video ghosts I, I think I think we're dealing with something really quite peculiar and possibly Beyond our imagination what it is.
0: Yeah, I think I would I would tend to believe uh believe that as well. I think, you know, for me, you know, it's that old saying, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And for me, it's like, you know, you had an experience with a literal hand coming through. Now, to me, that is much more remarkable than somebody showing me this kind of ambiguous shape (laughs) that popped up. In the camera, where it's left for interpretation, it's like I I want to see something that's you know legitimate. I want to see an apparition appear, that sort of thing, or something you know levitating in midair, you know that sort of thing. I think that's where you know the evidence is, is speaks for itself. It's a little more concrete to me. Um, anytime there's room for interpretation, I, I think that's where we're wasting our time. Yeah. <laughs> I think.
1: I, I think it's one of those things. It, it's kind of. Um, I always remember going to my bank bank manager, and uh, they said, "Well, how come how come you know people see ghosts or you know see UFOs?" I don't I don't know why the bank manager brought it up. Apart from me, to, I think he'd read one of my books, <laughs> and I, and I said, "Well, the reason is 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 what do you do on Friday night or Saturday night?" And he said, "Well, I might be going out. I might be in a pub." And I said, "Yeah, but these people are in." In a haunted castle, or they're in, <laughs> you know, in—I mean, I've done hundreds of ghost hunts, um, you know, all, all around the world, and um, and and it's just one of those things. It's it's kind of the more you put you put yourself in those circumstances, I think the more chance you've got of experiencing something, whether you're a sceptic or a believer. And 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 it's always good to have healthy scepticism, but it's also good to have a wander around you know have an explore and go to a local haunted place and you know and and just see how you feel you know the great that i always say to people the best ghost hunting piece of equipment is yourself you know how do you feel emotionally when you stand in that place is it is it scientific is it, you know is it is it because it's overly dark are you scared because it's dark or is it scared because there's something else and and, and that's the thing, is, is if people are interested in ghosts, know they should get themselves out there, because that's where you do learn and kind of work. I, I mean, I I did a lot of ghost hunts where myself and my wife, we ran a ghost hunting company in Britain for 17 years. We, we were the first ghost hunting company in the world. And I learned more from taking the general public to haunted locations about what really is a ghost compared to the previous sort of 20 years of 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 doing paranormal investigations. there's a real difference. You learn things.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. So so tell me, what, what are some of the more haunted active locations that that you've experienced personally?
1: I think I think the probably the probably the most haunted, the, the weirdest and strangest is is uh I like Edinburgh Vaults. Um, Edinburgh vaults in Bless Street. Oh, is that, that kills really, me. It really, really kills me
0: to hear you say that. I was just, we were talking about this before we started recording it. I'll, I'll let you finish, but we went to visit and we stayed most of our time in Edinburgh. And that was the one thing I wanted to do. And I kept putting it off to, to allow my friends who were with me to do some other things. And on the promise that we would eventually do the vaults, and it came down to the second to last day. And they completely bailed on me and I didn't get to go and do it. So that it kills me inside to hear you say that. Yes. <laughs> but but go it's on. Genuine, it's, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, one of those, it's one of those weird places, John. It's it's kind of one of those places where you it's under a nightclub. Okay. So so the first thing, so the first part when you investigate that place, if, if you go in at night and you're investigating it, after between sort of eleven and two, you can hear nightclub. Above, and then it and then it goes quiet, and it's it's a very disturbing place. Now there's been scientific tests there. Rich, uh, Professor Richard Wiseman went there, and, and I think they put it down to graffiti. I think it was. I mean, it, it's not down to graffiti because some of the rooms don't have graffiti in in, in them, and and have, or have equal the um, equal activity. But it's one of those places where it's just not right. It's, it's one of these places where you kind of, you feel that the, you go into it and you think, why isn't this right? Now, the sceptics will, you know, you, you, you'll you kind of say, oh, it's electromagnetic energy. That was the big one in the 80s, is, is we're all having electromagnetic energy bombarding the pituitary gland. And it's all, you know, making us feel a bit, you know, kind of a bit weird and, and that sort of thing. But it's not like that there. You, you're, you are actually, you know, in underground and you are in in stone so then people say well it could be uh sound which is another fam- famous one but essentially when you go through it and you are ghost hunting, and i used to have some real big pieces of kit where you were testing all environments there were something just really disturbed people and uh, and it makes you wonder if it's going back to that archetype where you know kind of back to the cave and back to that sort of closed in area that really scared you um, I mean, so I, I felt quite disturbed there when I went there. But the strangest place in Britain, I would say, is is definitely Woodchester Mansion, which is in Gloucestershire. It's a mansion where suddenly uh, the workmen just dropped their tools and left. Um, the story is that they ran out of money and that was it. It was kind of... But the unusual thing is the workmen left their tools which in those days, workmen don't leave tools because that's their work. You know, it's, it's kind of, so that, that's a really weird thing. And, so, and I've been there several times. I've taken my highly sceptical father-in-law there and I took him to one particular area and said, you stand here, this is really an active place and, and, and see what you think. And he came down and he said, I didn't see anything, didn't hear anything. He said, but something really weird happened and it's closed up at that top. He said, I had a breeze coming towards me. And I thought, oh, it's the wind coming down the valley. And suddenly it changed and he went behind him. And he said he could feel all his hair pushed forward from the breeze. And he said, I can't work this out. And he was kind of walking around the ruins. (laughs) He was kind of looking, he was looking up and trying to work out the vectors of there. I was there late one night, uh, two o'clock in the morning and we, we were ghost hunting with a bunch of people. And one lady had been on several ghost hunts, not seen a thing, not seen anything at all. And I said to everybody, oh, grab a coffee and we'll all have a chat in the room and we'll have a we'll have a, uh, a quick chat of what's been happening tonight. I'm talking to everybody. Suddenly this woman came in, said, I'm disgusted at you. I'm And I said, why? And she said, letting your son wander around Woodchester Mansion at three o'clock in the morning. And... I didn't have any children at that time. And I said, <laughs> I, I, I don't have any children. And she said, I've been just, I just, we were the last to get our coffee and I thought I'd just stand there for a minute. And this boy in little blue and white pyjamas walked past me and went into the other room. And I said, yeah. I said, you've seen a ghost. She said, it wasn't, it was your son. I said, it was, I mean, this lady's been ghost hunting, you know, five, six times. I said, it went in that room. And then where did it go? She said, "Well, I went in that room and it wasn't there." I said, "If you saw that little boy, you've seen a ghost." Yeah, but it was a little boy. I said, "Yeah." <laughs> what, what? I mean, I mean, who likes a little boy wandering around in a deserted mansion um, at three o'clock in the morning? And she genuinely saw something. Genuinely saw something. Her husband even saw that him kind of walk past, walk, walk past. and and that was it for her. She kind of it was like. Oh, actually, yeah, I think I have seen something. And the weirdest thing that ever happened to me there was on one of the floors and we were having a little mini seance, everybody's holding hands. And uh, I was really tired. It was about four o'clock and I, and I just turned around and something barged past me and hit my shoulder. And I turned the torch on straight away because I thought it was one of the general public, you know, I kind of turned on the light and there was nobody near me nobody at all the nearest people were eight nine feet away and they were all holding hands and they heard the noise the slap against me and it sounded like a wax jacket it was like a a, a, it felt like something wax or or rubbery or something hitting me and and it spun me around with such force. and so yeah that that was a it's a weird place weird 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 place
0: (laughs) talk a little bit about you mentioned this in one of your books uh and this is kind of more of a new phenomenon but it's uh insanely creepy this uh phenomenon of uh the black-eyed children talk about that a little bit
1: well it's it's a bit like orbs um what suddenly happened was it was about 2006 and and again i blame you americans for this (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that (laughs) but um but uh, again, do you know, a bit like the creepypasta, the Slenderman type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple of forum posts of people seeing black-eyed children, and and uh, and what we could, what happened was certainly over space of. I mean, I'd never heard of black-eyed children pre-sort of two thousand and six, and I I actually researched and looked into this. Yes, people see child ghosts, and people say claim to see um you know kind of children in in places all around you know several cases in in america several cases in britain um and and the phenomena took off from there and it's interesting very very much like the slender man it was an early sort of meme in that people were seeing these black-eyed children appearing a number of properties started to see them especially in staffordshire sort of area in america several people made uh, youtube videos and TikTok, and and it's interesting that those sorts of memes have now carried on into people like uh, Nuke's Top Five, which is a popular YouTube channel. Is if you, they have videos from people all around the world, and um, and you, if you just watch one, and there are several children, you know, footages with some of them with black eyes, and and it's interesting because you, you know the fake, you, you, you know, it's it's kind of the the thing is is like what I was saying before is, is you kind of. Do you know, I'm not convinced you can video phenomena, Uh, and I'm certainly not, I certainly don't believe in in black-eyed children, but you keep getting these memes that keep appearing, the the, the orbs that just keep on carrying on, and you have black-eyed children that keep on carrying on. There's real phenomena on there, but one thing about the human experience is that we keep getting distracted. We got distracted with spiritualism. You know, we got distracted by spiritualism for a long, long time when actually it could have been real phenomena out there. Um, luckily, we've got people like the SPR and Joe you know, ASAP and things like groups that investigate these things. Um, but we, we get heavily distracted. That's that's the problem, and I think that's the same with UFOs.
0: Yeah, I think what the the problem with that too is that technology and and the advent of YouTube, uh, just like with the uh, UFO. Uh, community there's so much mud in the water at this point that it almost becomes difficult to determine what's real and what's not and so there there are probably very real experiences happening out there but it's so diluted now that it's it's almost impossible to tell the fact from the fake you know
1: It, it's it, it's it's incredibly hard, really, because I, I mean I watch, I watch people like Secure Team mm-hmm. and things like that, and, and I'm I'm kind of shouting at the uh, the screen, you know. It's 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 really difficult, and, and I think I mean I have investigated UFOs at, at, to a real extent, and and, and I think I, I started to pull back because purely sort of as you hit the late '90s, early 2000s, there's this massive influx of. Firstly, there were some very high-profile, very expensive CGI-type hoaxes, mm-hmm. um, and and then, as we've started getting the smartphones and the apps and everything else, it's very, very easy to fake something. Incredibly easy. So it's it's really difficult from a UFO perspective to investigate UFOs because, you know, again, you you've kind of got this transition of where we are with. Um, with technologies. We've moved from flying saucers to black triangles, and everybody's talking about Tic Tacs and UAPs, you know. I was listening to the Ralph Blumen uh, Tal, uh, podcast, and, and it, it's interesting, oh, oh you know, David Fraver, he saw the Tic Tac, and, and it's funny that, you know, we had Belgian pilots in 1989 who saw triangle UFOs, you know, what was going off there, and you, you kind of, you can see these things are rolling over and over and over again, and you know, the, it. I. It's kind of with UFOs in the late '90s. There was always this feeling of disclosure, and uh, on both sides, you know, in, in the US and in Britain, and it never, never happens. You know, it's, it's. It, I. I feel for people now because you watch, you go onto UFO Twitter, I think hashtag. Yeah. And they're all saying, oh, the it's it's the big disclosure is coming any moment. It's coming out. The report's coming on, and you sit there and you see the report and you think same old same yep. old it's, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's never it's it's not gonna happen i, I, I think that the, the, the problem is is it's this stagnation and this kind of cycling recycling of stuff it's kind of it can wear you down as an investigator i think I th- and, and that's why i don't really act investigate cases so much now I what i do try to do is is a lot more research i've done the investigation i've done the ghost you I've I've done things like sky watches. I've done ghost hunts in New Orleans. I've kind of you know it's I've done all that, and and now I think what I want to do is actually look for evidence, look for the strangeness, look for what was happening, you know, uh, this century and last century, and even further. and And that's what I'm really enjoying is the stories like the the even things like William Mumler, the 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 hoax or the photographs. It started off well and, and very similar to uh the fox sisters there seems to be a core uh paranormal activity at the beginning and then it just gets out of hand
0: <laughs> right
1: and i think william just kind of thought you know i think william generally took something strange on his first photograph and then thought actually how can i recreate this because this is really interesting um so it's it's really weird how we are, especially with UFOs being renamed now and everything. I just find it incredibly funny, really. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, and in part of that obviously has to do with the fact that um, the term UFO in and of itself has so much stigma attached to it now, uh, thanks to the mudding of the waters, so to speak. For decades and decades and decades to the point where the only way that we can have a real legitimate conversation about it without somebody snickering or giggling in the background is to literally give them a different name, you know, (laughs) got to call them UAPs now. You know, it's, uh, they're not UFOs anymore.
1: (laughs) I I think it's always been really difficult. And I think the great thing about podcasts like this one is that you can discuss this and you can discuss it sensibly where before, you know, a lot of the interviews that I've done in the past, I've... I've always you know kind of I appear on a on a radio station or or TV and and they start playing Ghostbusters or I always remember they discovered um Martian uh, um uh, Martian DNA on a on a meteorite in the Antarctic and I think this was about uh, 2001 and I was invited onto a program and the the DJ said well you must think this is proof of of uh, aliens wasn't no, it's it's a rock that's been hit off of Mars. And, well, don't you think it backs up all your theories? I said, you don't know what my theories are. <laughs> you know, right. my the- I'm, I'm not convinced we've been visited by aliens. I don't think we've got enough evidence of that. Um, I, I hope there's life out there. But uh, I think we just need that greater evidence far from lights in the sky, which, again, if we go back to the Victorian times, we've got lights in the sky. We've got stories of air balloons that get, Um, with anchors that get hooked up to the side of churches and crawl down and start talking to people in foreign languages and then disappear. So, you know, we seem to be going through, I don't know, maybe it's the Cosmic uh, Trickster, I think. You know, the Cosmic Joker's playing a big trick on us all. (laughs)
0: Loki's messing with us. Um,
1: I uh, yeah this is something going
0: on yeah, absolutely so so tell me a little bit about because you've got some some different types of hauntings and different types of stories. Uh, obviously one of the big things is uh, especially in the United States, you know we just don't have the the sheer amount of history uh, behind our, our, our country but uh, places that seem to be areas where war happened or battles or there's a great amount of, of death. You know, we hear tons of hauntings around like Gettysburg, you know, where like our American Civil War took place. You know, it's very, mm-hmm. very rich in, uh, in stories about hauntings there. Uh, you have a lot of stories also about anything from like uh, Phantom Cannon Fire, uh, you know, ghost soldiers, haunted airfields and even ghost ships. Uh, talk about that a little bit, because war and battle definitely seems to leave an imprint.
1: I, yeah, I, do, do you know, it's it's... I mean, after all this amount of time, I'm kind of you're for, I'm kind of formulating an idea of, of exactly why a place becomes haunted or becomes strange. I, I, I kind of call it the haunt field, as such, and, and 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 the reasoning behind this is is I think what happens, like Whitechapel in London, which was the place where Jack the Ripper um, murders happened, um, like like Gettysburg um if you look at Gettysburg and the battle and the murder and uh, sorry the uh, the death and everything that happened there I think what happens is that there's this greater concentration of unusual human activity um we talked about the Bowery earlier you know the Bowery uh you know certainly through the 1970s and 80s had a a particular reputation again of being a melting pot of artistic uh, and creative people as well as having an extremely high crime rate, but also it's the same place where there was great meditation experiences and people would try and, ex, um, try and uh, medit- meditative um, experiments there. And I think certainly with Gettysburg, and I think that's a really good uh, resp- um, good question: is is why is that place so so haunted? And I think obviously, I think if you look at the greater context of what Gettysburg was. In the terms of the the American Civil War, as you know, well, I, you probably don't know this, but I'm an absolute American Civil War kind of, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, geek about it. But I think the impact it had, as as literally, you know, kind of caused a, caused a splash in the human consciousness in in America. And and what we've got is this greater con- this greater concentration of unusual human de- behavior. And when I mean unusual, is it you know it's, it's not the usual living and breathing and that's it we've got this huge concentration there and what you've got is it's left its mark and i think you have this all around where once something like that's happened it can take years and years to ha- to, to kind of reverberate as you say there's, there's not much history in uh, compared to britain in, in america but what you do have is is certainly early sort of fluctuations like like certainly with mexico Um, uh, in Missouri Um, you've got this church that is actually 100 years old by the time it starts having the ghost sightings Um, but I found that actually there was uh, a a slaughter happened there of of early pilgrims, I found out that there was also um, uh, there was uh, allegedly uh, Native American um, uh, protected lands in that area as well, apparently uh, religious related as well so you've got the, again, you've got this melting pot of different weird things, kind of all coinciding. You know these different parts of the human consciousness, and what happens is it almost bubbles up like a volcano, and suddenly, snap, you've got the Jack the Ripper hauntings, or like with Gettysburg, that happens, and then suddenly, you know, like the Civil War in, in Britain, within 24 hours, people are still hearing the the cannons reverberating, those shouts that the cries of people certainly with Gettysburg they can hear people shouting uh, shouting mother or because that's what young people did is when they were shot and laid down they were shouting for the mother so the fact that two days later after Gettysburg people were reporting that they could hear people shouting for the mother actually makes perfect sense because that would have been realistic and it's interesting that it seems to have sent a shockwave in the area. You've got the Farnsworth house there, which is very, very haunted, and it's got a number of cases. But there's also properties nearby as well, which are equally... Uh, you know. I know Gettysburg was kind of a sprawling battle as such, but uh, I, I think it's something to do with our consciousness. I think we cause a wave, and, and somehow that wave or, or splash that happens somehow gets recorded. So we have ghosts. So we have this recording that happens where you can suddenly be driving along a lane and suddenly a a white lady will jump out or whatever. And then you have something like a... a, some sort of disincarnate intelligence. Because I I firmly believe that there are certain cases where there are intelligence behind it. I don't know what that intelligence is, but there is something in there that has been shown. And I think at Gettysburg and, and friends who've investigated there, the EVPs that have come from there... There's no doubt there's something there that this that you know people are having genuine experiences, um, but I, I think you can tie that to other places as well. Is is if you start to spread out some of the cases you've investigated, you start to see that there's these incredible ripples that sometimes are like, one one such case. John is 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 in London again, Whitechapel. I found out that it was that originally it was the reason why it's called Whitechapel was there was a Whitechapel. And the story of that chapel is very, very bizarre. It's about a murdered uh, saint in the 1890s, uh, uh, 10 years after Jack the Ripper, a load of bodies were found up in the spire, and yet it was also haunted as well. And then, in the middle of the Blitz, it got bombed and completely levelled and destroyed. Um, so, So it's just like this weird concentration of human activity in one area can cause this Unbelievable sort of manifestation of ghosts and spirits and and weirdness, and I think that's why you've got you've got Bigfoot, you've got UFOs, and you've got ghosts, is because I th- I've not seen the correlation yet, but it'd be interesting to see how many how many places where Bigfoot are seen are close to similar places where ghosts are seen.
0: Yeah, that that would be very interesting. I have a I have a I live in uh, Ohio, and I uh, actually picked up a map, and it has. Uh, spots where ghosts were sighted uh ufos were sighted and uh like cryptoids like you know bigfoot and stuff like that and it's yeah. kind of interesting to see areas where you see all three potentially yeah uh, or even at least two um but uh you know covid hit and then i couldn't actually go <laughs> go to any of them so i'm waiting i think it's I, th-
1: I think it's that thing where you know you you kind of people used to say uh you, you have ufo hotspots or, or whatever but i and, and it's interesting, um, you know, I think there are statistics, I think how we're going to solve all of this is probably through, sti- through a very boring statistic, uh, statistic uh, analysis. And, and, it, and there's a lot of sort of lost sort of research that's gone. I mean, there, a, a gentleman called Jeremy uh, Hart, who is a folklorist, started charting the appearances of road ghosts um, across Devon in, in the UK. And when he looked, all of the ghosts appeared on parish boundaries. Now, these boundaries aren't marked. So you don't know where these are. But they were within, sort of, 200 yards of a, of a an Iron Age fort or on a parish boundary. Now, you, you, when you're driving around the UK, you go through millions of, of parish boundaries. You've got no idea which parish you're jumping from. Yes, we've got counties. You know you're moving from county, but not parishes. And, and it's weird that statistically, that they, they appear on these boundaries. And, and that's something that I've started working in, in America, is, is looking at where these appear. It's interesting, going back to the wild man story, that you know, he appears on the outskirts of Mexico, Missouri. Um, and I'm interested to see if he was actually on the boundaries of, of the town and whether Hopewell Church which was destroyed 10 years later for some reason. I, I've got to get to the bottom of that. Whether this we're again, talking about this invisible boundary that we're not aware of, but for some reason the ghosts do. And that intrigues me even more because why does a black lady appear on a parish bou- boundary and and yet doesn't appear in the centre of town? Um, and, and again, I, I think statistically we've got to look at things where, as you say, you know, your map i'd be intrigued to know about the ghost and the bigfoot and what happened historically in that area and i bet you will be able to find some unusual activity uh human activity that is somehow tied it's like trauma is somehow tied in with what we're dealing with
0: yeah i think i think that's what i'm most fascinated with is areas of uh where high amounts of trauma took place whether it was war or some sort of tragedy and i think um to your point, I think one of the things I'm very interested in is looking at where some, some of these native American, uh, burial grounds are in relation and, uh, native American settlements were perhaps, you know, uh, native mm-hmm. Americans or even, you know, American settlers, you know, European settlers rather after that, um, you know, where perhaps there were some tr- tragic events that, that occurred in those areas. And if there is any kind of correlation there.
1: I think there's a great. I think the problem is, it's not as it's um, it's it's not as sort sort of public. It's it's not work that people will kind of look on and say, "Oh, that was amazing," you know. It's kind of it's the boring statistical. But I I I kind of after doing this now for thirty odd years, um, I I'm kind of now realised that I think. I, th- I think really from maps and statistics is where we're going to find the truth with this is, is where pe- where are these things appearing why are they appearing we can look at the geological implications of this which is again an old sort of uh, skeptical meme that you know that there appeared on fault li- fault lines and stuff like that but generally speaking that you know i i don't think that's the case it's not fault lines there's some great work happening at the moment in california where people are looking at sort of folkloric aspects of Britain and then transposing that into California because California has a problem with road ghosts, as I mentioned earlier. So uh, the researchers is is now looking at if these roads have, uh, are these early settler paths, are these pathways that have been down, you know, for maybe uh, 150, 200 years and because of that that traveling, it's a bit like the uh, spirit paths of the um, aboriginals, you know, they have these song lines i don't know if you know about them but um, aboriginal people of of australia have song lines where they sing a song and as they're singing it it's going through the the points of the landscape and it's often along these song lines that there are ghosts or or area liminal places that uh, aboriginals say that there are deities that come through and there's a similar aspect to that in california is is that the, these lines are, are getting um, investigated, researched and took back. And I think that's the problem, unfortunately, with the US scene, really, that, that, you know, I would say 90% of it is, you know, the kind of in-your-face public side, the TikToks, the the TV shows. Um, and then you've got other people like David Metcalf and Stephanie Quick and um, who, who are investigating the very public side, uh, sorry, the very sort of persona-led the very you know looking at architect types and and how we can kind of try and crack this
0: yeah you, you mentioned um that is kind of an interesting phenomenon these roast codes. you mentioned in one of your books scotland's most haunted road uh what talk about that a little bit <laughs> i had to hear about this one
1: yeah the, the is A sixty nine re, is a really weird road it's it's a weird it's a road that kind of cuts up from scotland and 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 just when you think that nobody sees any more ghosts on the A69, suddenly what you've got is a, a series of incidents. Um, I, I remember going up in 2004 and, and basically uh, a young gentleman um, just got a brand new car. Um, he'd just passed his test and he was driving down the A69 and suddenly a female jumped out, in front, literally kind of stepped out in front of him and it nearly caused him to crash, went off, and there was a lot of publicity locally about it. And they said, well, he was a young driver, he'd probably... And it's interesting, his family contacted me because he was so shook up about it. And when I talked to him about it, he said, the, la- the lady just looked modern. So then when you start looking in the cases, whenever anybody's seen this ghost, going back to the 70s, going back to the 60s, going back to the 50s, what you've got is is, is a series of ca- a series of uh, sightings, in which this white lady is, is again interpreted by people and nearly causes people to uh, have the accident. It's one of these places, but like what I've said before, it, it, it's like a place becomes bad. You know, it's it's like a place where it has a high amount of accidents um, uh, generally, but also as well as it's also got its own uh, its own road ghosts there's a place in Kent in in London uh, Kent on the outskirts of London um, and that Bluebell Hill now tragically somebody died uh, a bride and her hen party died in a car crash in the 1960s exactly on the same spot where people had seen a ghost of a woman appearing what looked like a bride and since then she's appeared several times at the side of the road trying to thumb for a lift uh, hitchhiking and um, and people have pulled over. She's got in the car. They've drove a, a few miles down the road, turned to her, and she's disappeared. And and that's a running theme across America. It's it, the there was a massive study in the nineteen forties and nineteen fifties um, because there were so many road ghosts uh, happening on on the uh, on the uh, west uh, west coast that they were that uh, folklorists started researching hundreds of cases to see exactly what was happening and see what was happening. But these themes kept coming out Is people would be pulled over to the side, a ghost would sit in. Sometimes there might be a discussion. Sometimes people would be uh, they would be given an address. And when they arrived at the address, it, it turned out that the person had actually died. And you could say, well, some of this could be hoaxes. So, okay, let's check out 70% is hoax. But then you're left with a core group that, uh, that America's roads are are very haunted, and and I think again it kind of comes back to that thing again. You've got some amazing routes, and and a lot of the research I'm doing at the moment is discovering these areas, and they tend to be very very old routes, uh, like Route 66. It, you know, there's I'm, I'm currently researching at the moment uh, a ghost story on there, that, and that's suddenly getting bigger and bigger and bigger because I'm finding discovering new stories and also old stories as well, so. I, I, again, Rogoosting—I again—I find really interesting because it's it's human behavior that can be traced back, like the pilgrims. You know, it, like in in Britain, we had Roman trade routes, and they're haunted. You know, we've got trade routes from London that go up to Scotland, and they're e- equally known as being being haunted, and not by Romans, but, but by other things like uh, black monks or or white ladies in white, or even black dogs. And that's something America doesn't really get is, is the whole black dogs with the red eyes. Um, you've got Bigfoot. We've got black, <laughs> we've got black dogs with red eyes, Right. Uh, but I'm sure I can keep hold of them.
0: So uh, I know we're, we're, we're running low on, on time here, but uh, uh, talk about what are you working on right now? What are some of the things that you're discovering that are, that are really piquing your interest at the moment?
1: I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think at the moment is, is, is really, um, we, we, I'm working on um, real Christmas ghosts. I wasn't wasn't happy with it, and uh, and decided to completely rebuild the whole story. So what I'm working on at the moment is is what was the belief system for uh, America and Britain in in terms of uh, in terms of Christmas um, and also Halloween as well. Because one thing that always intrig- intrigues me is. Uh, you guys always do a Halloween far better than us. <laughs> <laughs> we do do it well. And I'm That's really true. jealous. <laughs> I am really jealous. Um, uh, it's it's quite boring in Britain. I was brought up where we would carve out ch- uh, tur- uh, turnips, uh, Swedes. We would carve them things out. And then when we started getting the pumpkins in 1980, it was a lot easier. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how you overtook uh, the interest in Halloween. Why, why, did, why did Americans really grasp Halloween? And how did that grow? And, and where did, you know, how, um, So I'm interested in that as well. So I'm researching that at the moment to see how, you know, in the archives, where can I see this taking off? And where, at what point did it take off? And I'm almost certain it's, it's just pre-war at the moment. I'm beginning to see signs that around 1930, there was a big interest in ghosts and a big interest in Halloween um where in britain it's always been a bit more sort of working class earthy sort of you know belief systems that tie in with older folklore with halloween in, in the us it's interesting how it's gone there and what i'm doing now at the moment is researching tons of christmas ghosts or stories that happened around christmas in america um so i'm i'm looking at some of the stories that I mean, there are tons and tons of stories in America and I have to kind of wade through them. So at the moment, I'm I'm wading through stories of people who saw lights in graveyards and then suddenly they realize it's a shiny graveyard, a shiny gravestone (laughs) reflecting back on them. Now, the intriguing thing is about that is I've then found out that it's happened for years, many years, and it's been like a rolled out description of why that um so i've got plenty at the moment I'm, I'm hoping for to finish by the end of september but uh <laughs> i'm really in the middle of uh, american ghosts at the moment
0: very cool well thank you so much for for spending some time on the show this is fascinating where can people go to keep up on top of uh what you're up to
1: yeah so uh mjwayland.com um, uh, i've got a website there and uh, i try to update it as as many times as i can <laughs> with with the time i can so yeah
0: perfect well mj thank you so much this was uh, so much fun come back anytime
1: well thank you john i i've really enjoyed it and uh, i could i could talk for ages with you thank you ever so much and uh, I, I love the podcast keep going
0: thank you i appreciate it So are the ghost stories recorded in the newspapers of the 1800s all real accounts? Are they hoaxes? Or simply applying a 19th century understanding of the world to explainable natural phenomenon? Over a century and a half later, it's nearly impossible to say for certain. But that doesn't mean I won't wonder any time I hear a bump in the night or footsteps in the distance. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of Season 2. If you haven't listened to season one, there are 10 episodes available for streaming on all sorts of mysteries from UFOs to true crime to near-death experiences. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider telling a friend and leaving a five-star review on iTunes. I'll be back next week with a brand new mystery. Until then, thanks for listening.